Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. We are here once again on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Afternoon, everybody. Harry Alexander with you, Bunker to France. We don't here. need no stinking lawyers. That's right. And uh, we are live at the uh, White Stallion Ranch. Uh, because it is Movie Saturday. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles with us. And on the, and also uh, here with us is uh, Carol Markstrom. Um, she's an award-winning songwriter. She'll be uh, involved in the Wild Bunch Film Festival next weekend in uh, Wilcox. And we wanted to have her here to uh, uh, do the song that she's got involved in that. And hi, Carol. Hello. Hello. And also, <laughs> Good to on, be here. <laughs> and also on the horn in uh, somewhere in Arizona is uh, Michael F. Blake. Hi, Michael. How are you? How are you? But before we get underway, today is a interesting today? day. What is it? Today is the 26th day of September. It is the day that really? our illustrious colleague, Todd Roberts, Illustrious? Illustrious. Oh, I thought you said rustiest. Uh, it came into being. So, for Todd, I have uh, this. His natal day. Happy birthday, happy, happy birthday. This is your day to have a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you. As the uh, sons of the pioneers, there. <laughs> and he's on. Thank you, Harry. You are most welcome. Most welcome. All right, now on to the program here. Before we get to our movie Saturday topic, which is the works of the late Olivia de Havilland, the late Wilford Brimley, and the late Linda Cristal, let us. Nobody's on time. Nobody's on time. Well, at least of all me. Um, let us uh, uh, begin with Carol. And what is this Wild Bunch Film Festival all about? Well, um, it's a. This is the fifth year that they had the festival, but this is the first time in Wilcox in conjunction with uh, Rex Allen Days. That's what I thought. So, yeah. and this is actually year is significant for Rex Allen Days because it's the hundred year birthday anniversary. Yeah, of Rex. Yes, of Rex Senior, right? And Rex Junior, I just communicated with him yesterday he will be there as well nice so he's a character. he really is he's uh he's actually um does a lot on my desert rose album mm -hmm. which is my recent release and did a lot of harmony with me and oh. so it's great to have him involved oh he's yeah got, he's got a voice like his dad oh. so smooth. yeah, yeah nice. melts you nice. right nice. so the song that you've got uh for uh that's up for an award here yeah Okay, the song is called um, Bendita, and it's up. We made a music video, and that it will actually be available for the public to view after the film festival, after next weekend. So um, it, will, it's, it will be on YouTube under my name, Carol Markstrom, on my channel, so people can watch it. But it's it's um, the, in the it's it's a, up for an award. It's a finalist for the best music video, and for best first. Um, Best first film mm -hmm. with my um, co-producer Anita Crane. Who so it? we're very happy. Anita Crane. Oh, okay. she she did the photography. But we can get a preview of your song here. Absolutely. Hey, how about that? A so world voices, premiere. Yes, right here. it's West on my premiere. Desert Rose album, and I will <laughs> preview it here as well. Fire it up. Let's uh, let's go to okay. the uh, let's go to the Fender. Okay. So we're here there. We go. You go. And I'll do the mix while Bunker holds the mic. Okay, Bandita. Here we go. She was born in Mexico, daughter of a highwayman. She was a desert rose in a rugged land. So many things she began to grow She fell out of love with a dangerous man The winds of change began to blow She tried to leave He wouldn't let her go She left a lion dead in the desert sand Oh, Bandita You never wanted to live this way 
so much thank you that is pretty fantastic i appreciate that that is cut number one on the desert rose cd and looking at this you got charlie mccoy in here also i know wow. Man, I was, how'd you get him Heartland. my i gotta mention my amazing producer bill Vorndick in nashville bill is a grammy winning producer and mm. he he got me nashville's best yeah. to play on I this album so. yeah and you may have caught that the the title um, of the album Desert Rose came from this song yep. that actually uh, was written by Mentor Williams and Michael Hearn. Mentor was Lynn Anderson's partner for years and years, ah. and he also wrote the hit Drift Away that Dobie Gray yeah. recorded, yep, so yep, that yep, yep. gives you a little bit of nice, uh, trivia. Nice. Okay, I've got a couple questions for you now. Okay. The event, the Wild Bunch Festival, uh, how many days is that exactly? Three days? Yes. Um, Bandita will be screened on um, Friday afternoon, so there will be a variety of, of films that will be in music videos film, uh, screened throughout the weekend. And then the awards ceremony is Sunday evening. At yeah. the, it's all being held at the Wilcox Historic Theater. And when is the best time to see you down there? And the I'll days be, and, the, and the hours? The best times. Uh, my screening is at 3.40 on Friday afternoon, and then you'll probably catch me performing um, at the Grandstand in the, the park in Wilcox Friday yeah. and sa- or Saturday and Sunday. Okay. Yeah. And what, what is there a time frame on the park performances? Um, it will be in the afternoon. Afternoon-ish, yes, okay. Afternoon-ish, let's just say that for now. All right, that's the Wild Bunch Film Festival being held in Wilcox, along with Rex Allen Days. Wilcox, not too far from Tucson, about uh, a little one hour and a half, I reckon, yeah. down the road a piece. It's so, a nice drive. Yeah. So. And, uh, you know, over the years, the Rex Allen Festival has been a great draw for the people of southern Arizona yeah. and it's it's a great event and if you love the old west because it's it's still cowboy and yep. and Wilcox is still a shipping center for yep. for cattle and so get get your cowboy on and they got a great radio station down there too I mean you, you, you'll hear some old twangy western music then you'll hear something brand new yeah. and it's a great radio format that nobody will do anymore because 
we don't think the national program directors say we don't think anybody likes that stuff and well in any event uh, so that's next weekend yes and there's a variety of events going on throughout the weekend right. with the, the festival as well the parade is Saturday morning at 10 o'clock I believe okay. and there's the carnival rodeo um, live music and uh, the film festival mm-hmm. as well so yeah. you can catch some new release films of all kinds feature films as well as short films and um, music videos like mine yep. going on all weekend. If you haven't joined your tradition, it's a good time to start a tradition. There you go. There you yeah. go. Yes. Now, I want to invite her to stay with us if she wants to. If you want to stick show around, and, you're and most and you welcome. Can, you can pipe off anytime you want because that's the way we work. Oh, all right. All I've right. got a mic here. Yeah, I yeah, can you go to yeah. town. That's right. As long as the battery holds out, you're good. <laughs> and if you, you got any questions for Michael, he loves the for people to just quiz him ruthlessly. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to do the body of works here of Wilfred Brimley, Linda Cristal, and Olivia de Havilland. You probably, most people know about Olivia de Havilland. Most people know about Wilfred Brimley, but Linda Cristal is one actress that is not necessarily that well-known in this country. She played Victoria. Tucson she is. In Tucson she is. She played Victoria on The High Chaparral. Well, right. you know, actually, she's a little better known than that. You know, she, she was the Alamo. With Wayne. Yeah. She worked with Wayne a lot. Right, right. And, I mean, uh, she's not as known as oh, a lot well, of she, other. Yeah, she didn't have the kind of career, but we don't have the kind of industry we had back then either. But that, that program went on for years, didn't it, High Chaparral? He was Four. in 52 of them. Wow, <laughs> so you knew Linda firsthand. Well, no, no, because uh, I, I was what you call the shy and retiring type. I just did my job, didn't get in anybody's way, and that way I was always called back the next day. Uh-huh. And he never looked at the camera either. Michael, what do you know about uh, uh, Linda Cristal? Well, Linda, Linda was the first Hispanic actress as a lead in a television series. You know, they're all now, Hollywood is now all suddenly becoming so awakened and think that, oh, diversity, diversity, blah, blah, blah. Linda, that whole series was was a a, a big change of Western uh, in many ways. You had uh, John Cannon, played by Leif Erickson, marries uh, this uh, Hispanic woman who's the daughter of a uh, Don in Mexico who was pl- played by Frank Silva who, by the way, Frank Silva he was a black man uh, and, he, and he was from I think Puerto Rico I believe so and, and Linda, you know you, you had two leading uh, two lead characters in the series who were Hispanic actors, Linda and Henry Darrow, whose mm-hmm. real name was Henry Delgado. Okay. Uh, I came across a wardrobe still of him uh, in the Guy Williams uh, Zorro series when really? I was working at Disney, wow. and he was listed as Henry Delgado, and then, of course, he anglicized it for obvious reasons. But, I mean, uh, 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 Monolito, the character Henry played, he was he was a heartthrob, and he yeah. was a big he was a big draw in the series. Oh, yeah. And it takes place in Arizona with with the Apaches, and some Apaches are, uh, you know, while the Apaches were the quote unquote bad guys or the threat to the high chaparral, many times the Cannon family made peace with many of the Apaches or dealt with them, and they were always. They were all the Apaches were always treated in a dignified manner. It wasn't just simply, "Oh, you're the resident bad." Person. They were equals. It, it's yeah. it's, it's kind of like following that golden rule: "Do unto others as you'd like to have them do unto you." Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, actually, it, uh, with the chaparral, it was kind of like, "Don't do to us so that we don't do to you." <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But it was she was uh, she was actually born in Argentina, mm-hmm. in Buenos Aires. And uh, came, you know, she's also in John Ford's uh, Two Road Together, uh, which she plays uh, a, a, a Mexican woman who was kidnapped by Stonecap of the Comanches, mm-hmm. who was played by Woody Strode. And James Stewart winds up falling 
falling in love with her at the end of the uh, end of the show. Did you have any? Did you do any work with her? Uh, no, unfortunately, I never worked with her. You know, that's one of the interesting things too about uh, uh, her character in Two Road Together, is that it was really it's 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 almost typical of Ford is his way of doing a social issue, but not making it a red flag, and right. the, the sequence when she's at the fort. With the uh, with the women of the fort and how they treat her mm-hmm. and the way that Widmark and Stewart react mm-hmm. and the whole scene is capped with uh, Annie Devine at the end throwing yeah. the glass. Yeah, <laughs> and doing the, well. That was always Ford's touch. You know, you take a, a sentimental or a serious moment and without beating the audience over the head with it you try to lighten it up at the uh, at the last moment uh, and that's what Ford did with that um, it was uh, and, and she was really good in that film, she really was and Henry Brandon who had played Scar in The Searchers played Quanta Parker in that version yeah, yeah well, you know, it's the interesting thing about her, too, is, you know, she she spoke four languages before she ever learned English. Mm-hmm. She had done yeah. a series of movies in Mexico, about a half a dozen, and she was no dummy. She knew where the where the future and the market sure. was, and she crash-coursed herself into English and made the transition and did a wonderful job of it. We yeah. are, this is our movie Saturday for Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We are broadcasting live at the White Stallion Ranch, just north of Tucson. White Stallion is one of our sponsors. We are also sponsored by the Western Writers of America. Get yes. some books and read read a Western. Our guest is Michael F. Blake. We He's also, a Western Writer Association uh, member. Exactly. Yes. And we also have Carol Markstrom, award-winning songwriter. And Todd. Western Writers Association member. Yes. And I'm Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Bunker Does he belong to anything? Here. He, he belongs to himself. Okay. And he belongs uh, to us. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Harry Alexander, and we will be back with much more of the show right after these important messages. Stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west, where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. I'm Miss Wilkinson Investments. They're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. 
Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Watch classic Western movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net. back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander with you, along with uh, Bunker DeFrance, Todd Roberts. On the horn is Michael F. Blake, our guest. And also here with us is Carol Markstrom, singer-songwriter extraordinaire. Our topic today is on our movie Saturday is the body of works of Linda Cristal, Olivia de Havilland, and Wilford Brimley. You know, I want to I want to mention the high point of Linda Cristal's career. This is a little-known fact, but she was, 1958, she was named Motion Picture Sweater Queen. Uh, you wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, how many women, you know, reached that pinnacle well, in the business? Rhonda Fleming definitely would. I mean, oh, you know. Oh, yeah. you're talking about my, Yeah. Well, I think it's yeah. also important to remember um, that she's, you know, for somebody who was easily coined uh, just another pretty face that she's she showed real acting chops in the film Mr. Majestic yes, she with did. Charles Bronson and the main reason I say that other than the performance which you can anyone any of us can see is the director was Richard Fleischer and he didn't allow any he didn't allow any uh, uh, hollow actors on to work with maybe if they had one line or something but She's a big part of that film, and she wouldn't have survived with if she didn't have the chops. And that's considered one of Bronson's better pictures, too. Well, of course, it's got the great Al Letary in it oh, as well. He's, but oh, he's, and he's funny in that, too. Oh, he's good. He's very good. And, of course, Paul Co- Kozlo yeah, as he's well. But it's a great, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a well-made film, and I, I just, she sure was pretty. I, you can't take that away from her, but she had the acting chops. Well, you know, you know, you know, we don't want to overlook her work in the Alamo either. You know, because she didn't have a lot of competition in the in the women's department because there was only, I think, one other. But uh, she brought a kind of vulnerability and sensitivity to which was pretty much, you know, was a rousing man's picture. Yet she, was, I think, she did that in every episode of The Chaparral too. Oh yeah. I mean, I just that caring nurturing type of person she is like she had she had vulnerability but it was the vulnerability of strength it was like you know she was iron underneath that you know that exterior and, and don't cross her yeah. <laughs> don't cross her Olivia de Havilland boy what an actress man uh, I remember my first Olivia de Havilland film was uh, uh, was either The Adventures of Robin Hood with yeah. Errol Flynn, or it was Captain Blood with Errol Flynn. Two of my favorite movies. What a what a pairing they were. And, yeah, and I remember seeing um, an interview with her on Turner Classic Movies, um, where I, they, she was asked, "Was Flynn was how, how was Errol to work with?" And, and they were you could see that little gleam in her eye. And <laughs> I, my guessing is that Errol was uh, the late, quite the ladies' man, and she was able to put him in his place yes. without too much difficulty. Well, he, he was. I know that him. I've told this story so many times, but uh, quickly, you know, he would always try to shower her with flowers and chocolates and ask her out to dinner and bring her little gifts here and there, and she'd look at him and she'd say, "Oh, Errol, you're such a silly little boy." <laughs> You know, and can you imagine saying that to Errol Flynn, honestly? Uh, but as far as an actress, my God, what a body of work! Tremendous. I mean, some of the greatest films we've yeah. we've ever got out of Hollywood, including The Strawberry Blonde with Jimmy Cagney, and uh, They Died with Their Boots On. Some great westerns, uh, of course, Gone with the Wind, Dodge City, and so many others. But I, I, I have to say that the one that the film that really stuck with me with her was The Stink Pit. Um, yeah, which is a very dark, dark film uh, for uh, Hollywood to make in that period of time, the late 40s, early 50s. But there's a great line in there. You know, all the women that go through that that place, they all 
all their hair is just cut off like as like two inches or an inch off their head. And when she gets released finally on her day of freedom and liberty, as she walks out, she looks at the head female guards, and she's you know they're they're looking at her, waiting for her to, you know, say something that could get her in trouble or something or whatever. And she just looks at him as cold as ice and says, "Oh, thanks for the haircut." And she walks out. You know, I saw that when I was a kid. And that movie creeped me out. I was going, whoa, what? these women yeah. are, are yeah. evil. Michael, your take on Olivia. Well, I think one of the greatest scenes, one of the greatest goodbye love scenes takes place in They Died With Their Boots On. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Flynn is getting ready to go, and he's packing up, and she's there, and I mean... And that was the last scene they ever shot together. Uh, and she did actually have a crush on him uh, and said it was very hard not to resist his charms. And you can yeah. see that they had a they had a wonderful chemistry on screen. Yeah. And you know that had to take place behind the scenes as well. Uh, just that they 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 clicked. And that scene in in they die with their boots on is just I get tears in my eyes watching it because you really the, the actors really make that scene play so damn well and then of course with Flynn saying something to the effect of walking through life with you has been a very gracious thing um, she was she was one heck of a lady and I'll tell you this there's a law named after her in the state of California called the de Havilland Law. Yes. Olivia went, uh, Olivia was loaned out uh, when she was under contract to Warners to go do Gone with the Wind. And she comes back and she felt her contract was going to end uh, shortly and she was going to go freelance. Well, Warners tacked on an additional six months to her contract because she had gone on suspension. It was very common in those days, especially at Warner's, if an actor refused to do a part. See, back in those days, you were under contract. If you were Cagney or Bogart or any of them, they'd say, all right, you're going to do this script, and they'd hand it to you and say, you start Monday morning. Go get your wardrobe. (laughs) You, You had no choice as the star to say yes or no. You did what they told you to do which I think was a great thing because I think actors think too damn much nowadays and they they can't, you yep. know, half of them can't even open up their paper uh, paper sack for lunch. Uh, don't get me started, not to mention their political. Go for it. No, I'm not going to. Anyway. Mike, Michael, you and I have had many discussions about how is it the actors think when they don't have anything to think with. Mm. Thank, God for, thank God for writers, yeah, right? No kidding. So well, that's then that the old thing, you know, uh, actors and children are the same. Yeah, well, it's like there's that great line in um, the comedy, the producers. They said actors aren't bad, and and the uh, other guy says, "Yeah, you ever eat with them?" Uh, <laughs> you know. Well, so here's one I know Michael and Todd will recognize, and I'm going to leave one of the words out, but it's actors and seagulls are they're the same. They'll both. On you. Yes, they will. (laughs) Yes. Well, anyway, getting back to Olivia here. (laughs) So they tell her, oh, no, you've got another six months. You've got to serve out. We tacked it on. Well, she sued him. And she said, this is not, you know, this is not legal. It's not right. Well, they went to court and it, uh, she won. She won. originally and then of course Warner's appealed it to the state Supreme Court and she won again and uh, they they said uh, that uh, I'm trying to read the exact uh, the landmark decision the court said not only did Olivia not have to make up the time but that all performers were to be limited to a seven-year contract that did not include any suspensions handed down 
This became known as the de Havilland decision or the de Havilland law, and it's still in effect to this day. That must have frosted a lot of producers. And oh, Jack Warner was not very happy. Well, you know, he, he also a couple of times uh, suspended Cagney when Cagney refused to do some of their crap, and he used to yeah. call Cagney the professional against her. <laughs> but, uh, yes. So for, for that, Olivia deserves the unending... Uh, admiration and gratitude of every actor in this country. Carol, you got a favorite uh, Olivia movie that she that she did this, you know, and and she was blacklisted for a couple of years right. after that. Yeah. and she finally goes to Paramount, and she she made she made made a two picture deal at Paramount. Her first film, To Each His Own, she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, and then. She wanted it again for another film, also at Paramount. So Warner's was, you know, it was like the opposite of the MGM kicked out Joan Crawford. She goes to Warner's, makes Mildred Pierce, and wins the Oscar. <laughs> well, I think, you know, what happens, I think the other studios, they look at that and they say, well, that sorry old goofer. Well, I'm going to take advantage of his stupidness and, and swoop in there. Yeah. Carol, you got a favorite Olivia movie? Well, of course, you know, Gone with the Wind was memorable, oh, yeah. and you know, I, I just thought that there's there's something so uh, that quality, and I don't even know what how to describe it, but with an actor that makes them from the onset so special, unique that they just are imprinted in your brain, and so you you know that that everything after that's going to be, you know, fabulous as yeah. it has been with her. You know, I think yeah. part of that is that tremendous talent, that the camera likes them, yeah. and that they also bring an honesty and integrity to everything they do. Well okay. said, yes. The, 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 the camera just loved her. Yeah. And um, Yes. Even as she here's got a, older. Here, here's something I found, just found. In the 1950s, the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum near Tucson, Arizona, named one of their female Havilinas Olivia, Olivia de Havilina yes, in yes. her honor. <laughs> I, remember, I remember that when uh, we moved to Arizona in 1959, and I remember seeing uh, the, the Desert Museum would come out to the local schools and do presentations, and uh, we always wanted to find or, or see Olivia de Havilina. De Havilina. And uh, they'd never bring her out. Uh, you had to go out there to see. Well, she but, was a star. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it was. It, what a great play on words. Uh, uh, well, I, you I know, can't remember who the director was at the time. Hal, somebody, but uh, it was. It, not, yeah. You know, there's Al an Grass. interesting uh, yeah. side story too. You know, with the Gone with the Wind, she was nominated for a supporting actress, and Hattie McDaniel's, which was the first black woman to win yeah. an Oscar, yeah. was you know from the same show. Movie Saturday right. here on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. We're live at the White Stallion Ranch, as we are every last Saturday of the month, unless some equipment failure or something. Um, Monsoon. <laughs> we got to do our uh, next commercial break here. So our guest is Michael F. Blake. He's uh, on the horn with us. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Bunker de France is here. Yep. Carol Markstrom is here also. Yep. And uh, David Layton has joined us. Uh, and uh, this is Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. We're going to be back with much more right after these important messages. Stay tuned. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com. 
and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Polash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. With the fall and the coming of cooler weather, Tucson Trap and Skeet now institutes our fall hour. Office hours are Wednesday through Sunday from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And automated fields are open daily from 7 a.m. until dusk. So come out and shoot from one of our 50 trap fields, 13 skeet fields, or five international bunkers. Visit TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com for all of our upcoming events or call 883-6426. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like The Alexa Quote of the Show And may the odds be ever in your favor And have a From the Cutting Room 4 segment That is an open forum to discuss anything From our thoughts of a Netflix TV series To our experiences with movie subscriptions Such as AMC Stubs or MoviePass So, after finishing this podcast Please give the Movies Out podcast a listen We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play Simply search Movies Out Until then, that's a wrap you're not going to use the story, Mr. Scott? No, sir. This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. This is the Voices of the West. We are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts is with us, and our guest is Michael F. Blake on the phone and the theme to the High Chaparral. We were talking about Linda Cristal, and uh, she was the female lead in that uh, great television series film. And if I may say, that yes. is one of the greatest television Western themes done Ever. next yes. along yes. with Wild Wild West and Gunsmoke, yes. in my opinion. Yes, and uh, I was going to say that the uh, series was filmed at Old Tucson, and this group of uh, Voices of the West folk uh, we are on a, a movement to save Old Tucson, and uh, and the Chaparral and, Ranch, and the Chaparral Ranch, and, and uh, it's all in the preliminary stages now. But if you want to get involved, here's how you do it: send an email to Old Tucson Foundation at gmail dot com, Old Tucson Foundation at gmail dot com, and I will get back with you. And uh, go get go a little there. more explanation. What there. we're going to do with Old Tucson, or want to do with Old Tucson, is uh, we want to lease it from Pima County for a buck a year if we can. Uh, <laughs> certainly no more than that, because um, they poor. could donate it. Well, they, they could donate it too, but you know they won't. But uh, the intent here is to turn Old Tucson into the national uh, national museum of Western film and culture. And uh, basically, we've got the infrastructure there. What we want to do is preserve what is there. We want to do living history there. We want to preserve, we show film out there, uh, talk about the culture. If you're familiar with Colonial Williamsburg, that is where I think it needs the to format, go. Yeah. Yeah. They've the format, yeah. They've got one of the few remaining VistaVision cameras Ooh, in existence, nice. by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there, there's a... And, that's, and many films, including uh, Gunfight at the OK Corral, Yep. Use that Vista Vision camera and gunfight was shot there. Yep. Uh, partially there on uh, on the property. <coughs> well, anyway, that's that's the movement that we're going. That we're I just want to throw in there too that uh, <coughs> many years ago when I was on the Arizona chapter board of the Western Music Association, that uh, they had a national meeting here, which you know they would move their meetings around so that the various members could attend without always having to be travel the long sure. distance. Yeah. Uh, and at, just by luck at that meeting, 
uh, a representative from the Smithsonian came there and uh, kind of did a presentation to the Western music folks about they were talk in talks with Old Tucson about creating uh, Old Tucson as a, another heritage park, but not changing. In other words, not taking it over as a Smithsonian, but as a co co-equals. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's what we're doing. But what we're doing here on this show is uh, Movie Saturday. And for those of you who may have just tuned in, Movie Saturday, the last Saturday of every month, we devote to the movies and uh, the Western movies. That is. And uh, we're doing uh, the body of works of uh, Olivia de Havilland, Linda Cristal. And now it's time for Wilford Brimley. Wilford! Michael, you are very familiar with Mr. Brimley. Well, yeah. I've known Wilford since I was 17. Uh, I've got a question for you about him right off the top. Okay. Now, looking stuff up on him, I came across A. Wilford Brimley. and But I came across... Alan and Anthony. Which one was it? it it's Anthony. Yeah. Okay. Great. It's Thank Anthony. you. Um, Wilford. Uh, huh. I've been mistaken sometimes for Wilford. People say, "Oh, you look like that guy," and then they're surprised when I say, "I knew Wilford since I was 17. I knew him when he was shoeing horses in Lancaster, California, in between acting jobs. That's yeah. how long I've known wow. this man." <laughs> And uh, I, I knew him for quite a while and then didn't see him. Uh, he moved, you know, he moved on and we didn't cross paths. And then many years later, I was coming in for a couple of days to help out on um, uh, my fellow Americans, the movie. We were shooting at the Biltmore Hotel uh, using one of the big ballrooms as kind of a black tie event. Wilford, I think, was playing James Garner's chief of staff or something like that. Anyway, in between scenes, he's standing around in this, and I hadn't gone up to say hello to him or that. And uh, This girl on the set, one of, one of the wardrobe ladies, was saying, you know, I really enjoyed you in Cocoon and, you know, in this. And he said, well, thank you, thank you. And I was standing beside him, and I said, yeah, but your best performance was in Man of a Thousand Faces and me. And he just shakes his head. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, I didn't do it. And I said, yes, you did. Now, the thing about Wilford, you have to understand, is if Wilford thought he was right, Missouri Mule was much easier to move. <laughs> okay. Cowboy. Yeah. This guy, and he said in a very firm voice, bordering on, don't screw with me, kid. He said, no, I didn't. And I said, bull bleep, Wilford, I know you did because I acted and directed you in that. And he looked at me and you could see immediately he recognized me. And he reaches out his big arm and grabs me, wraps his arm around my neck and pulls me in. And he kisses me on the forehead and he turns to the, the wardrobe woman who was thinking, oh, crap, there's going to be a fight here. <laughs> And he's got tears in his eyes, and he says to the woman, this man's father saved oh, my life. Short. Yeah, I got it now. So what happened was, Wilford had been an actor um, and a stuntman and that. If you watch the opening scenes of Burt Lancaster's Lawman, right. when the cowboys are shooting up the town, you'll get a brief glimpse of Wilford on one of the horses as one of the drunken cowboys. Well... He was drinking then, and he got into a fight with the director, Michael Winter, who was a real yes <clears throat> pile of manure. Not, not a nice man to work with. Um, <clears throat> and Winter fired him. And anyway, he became friends with Ralph Waite on the film. <clears throat> and Wilford was living in Lancaster at the time with another guy, uh, they, they were, he was rooming with them because, and they were, uh, he was trying to get on the program of AA. And he'd go down to the Studio City AA club uh, because he said, you know, he didn't have two nickels to rub together and they'd have boxes of donuts. He could eat a couple of donuts and the coffee was free. <clears throat> well, let me quickly back up. My father uh, had an alcohol problem. He walked out of Universal 
walked into Universal one day where he was under contract in 1939. He was about 24, 25, <clears throat> excuse me, and told Universal, take your contract and stick it. And he goes into the war, and the U.S. Navy was about to throw him out because of his alcoholism and give him a dishonorable discharge. And my grandmother went to the new U.S. Navy offices in New York City and talked them into keeping my dad in the Navy. He gets transferred to the Pacific. He's still screwing up. They finally muster him out and with an honorable discharge, and they send him to a hospital in Oakland to get treatment. Well, my dad is there because prior to being in movies, he was a headliner in Vaudeville doing impersonations. He puts on a variety show for the Marines and the sailors, and <clears throat> he's the MC of the show. Well, in the audience is a Jesuit priest who, when I met him 30 years later, if he had a cleft in his chin, he would have been a perfect double for Pat O'Brien. <laughs> and he knew about my dad's background. And he told me, he said, yeah, your dad was up there, you know, hosting this show. And he told a joke about the Catholics I really didn't care for. And he said, at that moment, he said, I looked at your father and I said, he's mine. And he went after my father to get him sober. And, of course, my dad would dance around, dance around. Anyway, long story short, one day, <clears throat> Father Corley had enough of his garbage and grabbed my dad by the shirt collar, slammed him against the wall, and he said, I am willing to give up this collar and give up my priestly vows if that will get you sober. What will you do? And my dad, being Catholic, that shocked him, and he got on AA, and in 1947, he... And Louis Alberni started the first motion picture Alcoholics Anonymous group in Hollywood mm -hmm. outside, uh, outside of Paramount Studios. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a member of AA from that point on until his death in 82. Well, <clears throat> Grimley's there at the Studio City AA Club where my dad often frequented. It was kind of his, his hangout. And um, this one woman comes in one day totally thrashed to the wind. And just being loud mouth and that and my dad laid into her uh with all sorts of um, descriptive adjectives and wilford got offended and he said hey leave her alone and he said wilford told me he turned to me and his eyes locked on me and he went ah prince charming and he and wilford went back and forth a little bit and wilford said why don't we take this outside? And my father said, gladly. So they walk outside. <clears throat> they walk outside the building. And Wilford said, he's got it. His, he said, my right hand is in a fist. And I turn around and I'm going to deck your dad. He said, I was going to knock him down. And I turn around and your dad puts his hand up and he says, now, before you do anything silly, let me tell you that I've been on this program since 1947 and da, 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 da. And he's, he totally laid into Wilford, and he said, calling him, you know, you are, you're not important, you think you are, all this stuff. Oh. Wilford said, at that point, he said, your father was telling me things about me that only I knew, and I was, I was dumbfounded that, how did this man know so much about me? Oh. And he said, I unclenched my fist, and at that point, my father became his sponsor on AA. And um, I knew him for many years. Uh, when I was in my filmmaking age at 17, I did a movie about Lon Chaney. And he, if we needed a, we wanted to get a, um, a shopping cart for a camera dolly. And a friend of my dad's worked at a local independent market. And they said, yeah, we'll give you a shopping cart for the day. You just got to come and get it. So Wilford had a pickup truck. So Wilford came over with my dad. They picked it up, brought it to the set, and he and my dad are hanging around. My dad played the cameraman in it, and Wilford and I have a scene together, and, you know, we're pretending to fight and all this stuff. And he was like an older brother to me. He really was. Um, there were times when, obviously, my dad and I did not get along at all, and he would always kind of set things straight for me. And um, we would talk. He was one of the few adults in the AA people that I just love talking to and hanging out with, yeah. you know. Uh, the first time I met him, he came over to help change a sprinkler pipe in our front yard. And I was kind of handing him tools and stuff. And it was kind of like idolizing a big brother. 
that's how that was the kind of connection he and I felt with each other. And we were talking, and, and he's, we're talking westerns, of course, and immediately we hit it off, and he said, well, the only thing I don't buy is Jimmy Cagney as a caballero. Uh, and, and so anyway, I hadn't seen Wilford probably in 20 years, well, since my fellow Americans. And I, I've been wanting to get in touch with him because, you know, I knew he was getting up there and stuff. And uh, he was doing a show, a collectible show in New Jersey. And a friend of mine was going to go. And I asked him, I said, if I send you a letter to give to Wilford, will you give it to him? He said, absolutely. Well, he goes up to Wilford. He tells me, I have this letter from Michael Blake he asked me to give you. And Wilford said, you know, his father saved my life. He wanted to read the letter right there, but other people were there and wanted the signature. Well, he called me. When we talked, when we talked, we must have talked for two hours hmm. on, on, on the phone about how he and he, he told me how he and his dad, uh, my dad met and just, <clears throat> and I talked to him a couple of weeks, about a month later, I had sent him my first book on Theodore Roosevelt and he complimented me in that. And I was, the night I found out he died, I had planned to call him the following Monday when mm. he passed. Mm. Um, he could be an ornery cuss. Uh, he could. He did not suffer fools gladly. Uh, he'd give directors a hard time, but he was always right. <laughs> and he was just, for me, he was the best guy a 17-year-old kid could know. Fantastic story, Michael. Yeah, that is awesome stuff. We are talking with Michael F. Blake. Our uh, topic is Movie Saturday. We've been doing the uh, works of uh, uh, Olivia de Havilland, Linda Cristal, and Wilford Grimling. we got to do our final break here before we run out of time. So hang on the line. We'll be back with much more of Amo Franzi's Voices of the West right after these important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org read classic western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net That's a little bit like Gunsmoke there, doesn't it? <laughs> Welcome back to Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker de France and Michael F. Blake on the phone. Uh, Carol Markstrom's here with us as is David Layton. 
We got a full outside well, studio. Actually, today. we got one card extra, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> um, Todd, you got any Wilford Brimley stories? Well, um, <clears throat> I do. Um, I can't top Michael. I'm not even within the zip code, but um, I'll I'll share my one Wilford story. So, um, as everyone knows, my dad made Monty Walsh with Lee Marvin. Years later, Tom Selleck decides he wants to make it, and he had already done some other westerns on TNT, and he had just finished um, Crossfire Trail uh, with Wilford Brimley and Mark Harmon and Virginia Madsen, and so he called uh, 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 Wilford up and said, hey, Wilford, um, and I've heard this story from probably three different sources, and none of them know each other. So I, I know it's kind of true. And as Michael perfectly described, Wilfred could be a little uh, prickly at times, shall we say. And uh, he uh, he calls up Wilfred and he says, uh, well, Wilfred, get your hat on. Get get your hat. We're going to make another Western. And Wilfred says, really, Tom? Great. Uh, what's it going to be? He says, we're going to uh, we're going to remake Monty Walsh. And there's a silence on the phone um, that would have probably um, uh, given most heroes uh, a quake in their boots <laughs> because it went exorbitantly long, almost to the extent that it was like, hello, are you there? And Wilfred says, what right do you have to make money, Walsh? <laughs> and and at that point, uh, Tom said, well, I guess you're not in on this one, and hung up. And I don't know if they ever spoke again. Uh, I hope they did. But so years later, I'm at a political fundraiser, and I'm walking around, and there's all these people there, and um, Wilfred's one of them. And uh, I knew this story, and, you know, I walked up to him, and I said, hello, Mr. Brimley. Uh, my name's Todd Roberts. My father produced the first Money Walsh, and was part of the executive producers on the second one. And I heard a very interesting story once. And he put his hand out and shook my hand, gave a big, big smile with that big mustache. And I told him the story and he looked at me and he didn't say a word to me other than when he first shook my hand, he said, hello, nice to meet you or something. He mumbled something. And when I tell him the story, he looks at me and he puts his hand out again and shakes my hand with a big smile and winks at me and walks away. And I thought to myself, well, I guess the story's true. Yeah. So, One way or you know, but time. the other thing about Wilfred, uh, and I know we all love so many of the films he made, but one for me that goes so um, uncredited uh, in the film that's uncredited, and so many people pass over it, but his narration of Last of the Dogmen, I think, is yeah. just oh, yeah. uh, so, so high on my list. Uh, I can't yeah. even... It, it. I know it's a lot of you guys are going to laugh when I say that for me, it's equal to Richard Burton uh, narrating uh, Zulu. Hey, there's nothing uh, it's wrong. It's just with, perfect. There's nothing yeah. wrong with these uh, good good actors doing a, a narration, a film narration, or an audio book, or yep. anything like that. Nothing wrong with you that know, and, whatsoever. And and of course his 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 short short little piece in Absence of Malice as the. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, as the as the the U.S. Uh, attorney, uh, prosecuting attorney, and he just comes in, and there's that opening scene where you don't even see him, but what you do see are these big wingtip shoes on uh, that are being worn by the man walking, and he's in a seersucker suit, and the way he walks down the hall is like you can hear justice is coming, mm -hmm. well, and you and better get out of the way. He also has a newspaper in his hand, and he's kind of slapping it against his leg. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, he just, he, he doesn't leave anybody standing in that room other than Paul, New, Paul, Paul Newman and Sally Field. Guys, we are out of time, unfortunately. Fudge, I've got two great Brimleys you know, that I'll have to save for another yeah, day. We'll, we'll do them again. Michael, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Great to be here. Uh, most Great most happy to have you with us. Carol, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Appreciate David, it. Get Carol's CD. Thank you, David. Yeah, get Carol's CD. <laughs> yeah, get Carol's CD. You won't? You <laughs> buy it. I buy love it. that promo. Nothing's free. Get her video. Get her video. That's it.
Thanks for listening, folks. 78, 79. So long. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.